Welcome to the Drive Deeper Podcast, where we gather together on your morning commute to dive deeper into the scripture and give you a word to meditate on the rest of the day so that you can walk closely with the Lord during your busy week. Today we're going to be diving into a familiar passage in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus teaches on the parable of the sower. I'm sure this is something you've heard taught more than once and something you've thought about before, something you've been challenged by before and called to evangelize. But today I want to look at it from a couple of different angles. Um, so as we get into it, let's, let's cover a few things. The first thing, obviously, is a call to evangelize. In this passage, there's not even an explicit call where Jesus says, hey, um, you guys should think about doing this. Or, you know, hey, here's the Great Commission. Go out and evangelize. There's the implicit expectation that as a follower of Jesus, you need to be a sower of seed. You need to be sowing the gospel message, the word of God, by proclaiming it to other people so that their heart has the ability to respond. That's the expectation. Nobody gets a get-out-of-jail-free pass on evangelism. We're all called to share the gospel. We're all called to proclaim the word of God to other people. This is what we're meant to do as believers. And so Jesus calls all of us to do that. We're all called to that as Christians. So the second thing that's focused on is how are people going to respond when you sow this seed? Should you only share the gospel with people who are ready to receive it that you can just tell, oh man, here we go. If I share it now, they're going to believe. Or are we called to share it just in general? Well, I think from this passage we see we're called to share the gospel with all. Now, obviously we can go to other passages where, you know, our our words are to be seasoned with grace as if with salt. We're to know when to speak. We're to pray for opportunities to proclaim the gospel, that God would open the door uh, for the truth to be proclaimed. We see that in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. And yet in this passage, we see that the sower is, is sowing to all different kinds of ground because the thing is, ultimately, we don't know what type of ground is in a person's heart. Is their heart going to be like the path where immediately it's going to get devoured? It has no time to even take any root in the heart, even make an attempt because the ground is so hardened. We won't know until we sow the seed. Or is it like the rocky soil where, you know, immediately it looks like, okay, this is, this is going to be great. They receive it with joy, but over time it shows that it really has no root in the person's heart because as soon as they have to suffer for the sake of the word that they immediately received with joy, they fall away from it because it shows that they're actually not committed to it. They were looking for the benefits that they received as a result of it, but we're not willing to incur loss because of it. 
Or is their heart like the seed which is sown among thorns, where external influences come into play? It's not so much like the seed that was thrown on the path, where the heart is hardened. It has been prepared and trained to reject the gospel before the gospel seed is planted. Satan has done his work and the person's heart is controlling them so that when the seed is sown, it's immediately devoured. It's rejected instantly. Whereas when the seed is sown among the thorns, it takes external influences so that the word does not take root. But verse 19 says, These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. So the seed of the word of God is sown. It, it stays in their heart in some sense, but the word, it never bears fruit. It's not that the people receive the word of God, but they never bear fruit as Christians. No, that's not the case. There's only one set of seed that is sown successfully, and it's the seed in the good ground. The seed that is sown among the thorns does not come to its intended result. The word does not bear fruit in the person's life because other things take priority and choke it out so it does not take priority in the person's life. It does not take the first place in their lives. It gets choked out by the deceitfulness of riches, the pursuit of money, the pursuit of satisfaction and comfortability seeps in and and pushes out the word. The cares of this world, the things that people care about come in and, and they become the priority. They become the focus instead of the world. Or stated simply like this, the desires for other things enter in. The gospel is sown in their heart and they say, okay, maybe I have a desire for this. And then they just start to desire other things. It, it doesn't remain in there in that way. Whereas if you truly accept the word, you are going to desire nothing else as you do the word of God, as you do the gospel, the message of salvation. Nothing else will claim your affections in the same way that the gospel does. So in the last instance, we have the seed that is sown among the good soil. And obviously, this is what we're hoping that all people are going to have. We want their hearts to be prepared to receive the gospel when we proclaim it. And this is why Paul says we need to pray for opportunities that the Lord would open doors for them to preach the word. This is why we pray that God would prepare people's hearts to receive the word of God. Each time before I preach a message, I pray that the Lord would be preparing the hearts of the people so that he would have their ears open and they would be ready to receive what the Lord has for them in his word that day. Because the thing is, if I'm just speaking the word, it could be the most powerful sermon that I've ever preached in my whole life. But if people's hearts aren't prepared by God to receive it, it will fall upon deaf ears. So what we need to be praying for is that when we sow the seeds of the gospel, it would be sown in good soil. Because what happens? Well, it's received. 
The people accept it. They receive it. They truly believe in what the word of God says. It's not just an immediate gut reaction. It's not just a desire for the good things, but they're willing to stand firm upon it because they truly believe it. And as a result of this, it bears fruit in their life. The word of God produces its intended result, which is transformation. And it's going to display different amounts of fruit in different people's lives in different seasons of harvest. But it always bears fruit in a true believer's life. Always, with no exception. There is not a single believer in this world now or throughout all history who has truly believed in the gospel and it did not change them even one bit. You can't even point to the thief on the cross as that example. You see the transformation that has happened in his heart from when he is mocking Jesus alongside the other thief to then changing his perspective telling the thief to stop ridiculing him and asking the Lord to remember him when he enters into his kingdom. Well, why would he do that? Because he believed Jesus is the crucified Messiah, the king of the kingdom of God that he proclaimed to be. He confesses his belief in him, and you already see how that belief has started to change who he is. So as one final word from this passage, even though I don't think this is the main purpose of why Jesus says these things, but because I truly think it's helpful for our lives, we should look at the type of things that the devil uses to hinder the word from bearing fruit in our lives as believers. Now, the gospel message, if you are a true believer in Christ, it is going to bear fruit in your life. But there are things that if they are in your life are going to hinder it from bearing as much fruit as it possibly can. Rather than having a season of harvest this year of a hundredfold, you might be at 30 because you are desiring other things or you've fallen into a season of temptation where you're more concerned with things of this world than you were the year before when the word really took a hold of your heart. Or you're, for some reason, uh, fearful of persecution. And so you're, you're backing down on your convictions externally, even though internally you truly believe these things. So what are some of the things that we need to make sure are not deeply rooted in our hearts so that our heart is, is tilled and ready to receive the word day after day so that it can bear fruit in our lives? Well, the first thing that we see in the seed that is sown on the path is that the devil is able to somehow immediately devour the word of God when it is planted in people. So what are the false ideologies, the false beliefs, the improper theology that is based on the world and not the word that are in our minds that when we come to the word of God in our own study or when we're in church on Sundays or in, in small group or Bible study on Tuesday nights, 
that when we hear the word of God, it's immediately rejected because of how we've been prepared beforehand so that part of our heart, rather than being good soil, is like a path that is hardened and and cannot have anything grow in it. We need to analyze where those spots of our heart are so that they can be worked on so that seed can grow there. Additionally, we need to not be afraid of persecution. We need to be willing to stand firm, not just for the gospel, but for the word of God as a whole. We cannot be ashamed of the message of the cross. We cannot be ashamed of the truths that are in the Bible because the word of God is fully truth. If we reject parts of it, if we're ashamed or embarrassed by parts of it, we are going to see those worries, that protective mechanism that we don't want to suffer for the gospel. We don't want to be shamed for the gospel. We don't want to be pushed out of our friend groups or made fun of for the gospel. That's a method that is trying to protect us from suffering for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the word. So where are areas in our life where we see that being ashamed when we need to be unashamed of the gospel, unashamed of the word of God? Because if those areas exist in our life, then we, though we might receive the word with joy when we hear it, maybe we're reading a passage in Jeremiah and, oh, this is so good. I needed to hear this. I'm going to stand firm on this. But then when persecution comes, when tribulation comes, you back down on it because when it comes down to it, you're ashamed. And finally, What are areas in our lives that are thorns, that are weeds, that are choking out the effectiveness of the word in our heart? What are the cares of the world that still remain in our heart that are preventing the word from taking root? What are the desires for other things that we have, what is stealing our focus, what is stealing our headspace, what is stealing our time and our money? Are we trusting in our riches or are we trusting in God to provide for us? You know, this is why Jesus in Matthew 6 told us not to worry about the things of this world. He says, life is more than food. Life is more than clothing. Don't you think I know you need these things? But you're made for a far greater purpose. You are made to seek the kingdom of God with your whole heart. You are made to seek after my purposes. This is what you're made for. I've made you for a much higher calling than just making a living so that you can continue to survive. But you need these things in order to accomplish the greater calling that I have chosen you for. So trust me to provide you with these things. But if we get our mind out of alignment and we start focusing on the lesser things, providing food, providing income, providing shelter, and we're not focusing on seeking the kingdom of God first, then the word is going to prove unfruitful in our lives because our minds are not committed to it. They're not focused on it. They're not devoted to seeing it 
change us in every aspect of our lives because we're not trusting God fully with every aspect of our lives. So I hope that this has caused you to think like it has caused me to think. Uh, There are things in reading the parable of the sower this time around that really stuck out to me. I don't know why. I've never remembered that phrase in verse 19, the desires for other things enter in. And I thought, man, how true is that? When we desire other things besides the Lord, besides his word, besides the gospel, that hinders progress in our pursuit of Christ-likeness, in pursuit of our lives being transformed more than anything else. But when our desire is him, when our desire is to stand firm upon the word of God and truly see it transform our lives and we fix our eyes upon the Lord, trusting that he's able to do it, we are going to see incredible fruit born in our lives because we are connected to the vine. So brothers and sisters, check your heart. See if there are any of these areas that need to be pruned and cut off so that you can bear fruit. If there are, do not hesitate. Let today be the day that you cut it off. Additionally, check your heart on your boldness and faithfulness to evangelize. You have been called to sow the seed of the gospel in this world. You don't have to worry about causing the change in people's hearts. You don't have to even worry about whether they're going to accept it or not. If this parable was meant to show us a percentage, you could expect that at least 75% of the people in this world who receive the word of the gospel are going to reject it. And let me tell you something, that would be a great number if that was actually the way that it worked. If every time you preached the gospel, one out of four people truly believed it, that would be miraculous. So we should have an expectation that the message is probably going to be rejected when we share it, but we're still called to proclaim it. We're called to evangelize, to proclaim the good news, to declare it, to announce it so that people can hear it. And we leave the rest of it in the Lord's hands. He is the one that causes growth. We cannot do that, but he has called us to share his word so that people can hear it and choose how they're going to respond. So how will you respond to this word today? Thank you.